And the psalmist writes, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Tomorrow is Labor Day. I can't understand. It should be like a day that everybody works. Labor Day. But we're going to, people are going to be off for Labor Day. I think you, I hope you all get a day off for Labor Day. Well, today I want to talk about uh, the heart and soul of a person, the heart and soul of a, of a, of a religious belief, and uh, talk about a name. You know, all of us have a name. For example, my name is Pat, which means short in stature. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know if that's what, I don't think that's what it means. <laughs> But we all have a name, you know, and we're called by that name, and, 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 and our, our, somehow our character is built around that name, you know. Uh, so uh, we're going to look at that today and, and see what Paul says about having a name. If you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 17. We will finish the chapter this morning. Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 17. Paul writes this, but... If you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and of truth, you therefore who teach another do not teach yourself. You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that no one should commit that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through the your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as is written. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a transgression of the law. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is a circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Let's pray. Father, there is so much to learn here, Father. I pray that uh, you enlighten our hearts, illumine our minds to understand the truth of your word. Father, that what we hear, Lord, may we apply. Uh, Lord, may our interpretation, our application both fit together well. Now, Lord, for this day, we give thanks. Lord, I thank you for every person that's here. Lord, and everything that we do today, Lord, may we do to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. In the book of Revelation, chapter 22 and verse 1, John writes, 
A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. A person's name in the Old Testament was in some way an expression of a person's nature or character. For example, let me give you some examples from Scripture of a person's name and how that fits. Uh, The name Abraham means the exalted father. The name Joshua, which in Hebrew would be Yeshua, which is Jesus' name, by the way, Yeshua. Jesus the Christ, Yeshua, HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Uh, But the word Joshua means the Lord is salvation. The name Hannah, uh, the the mother of the prophet Samuel, uh, her name means grace or favor. Uh, David, the king of Israel, great king of Israel, means beloved. And there's a name that uh, was given by the, the wife of Phineas. You say, well, who is Phineas? Well, the prophet Eli had two sons, uh, Hophni and Phineas, and they were reprobate guys. A couple of, they were priests, but they were lousy priests, lousy. Pastor Search Committee would never call them here. Not for a second. They won't have. They won't have an opportunity. They won't have a chance. But anyway, uh, but Phineas's wife, he, he dies in battle, and the ark of God is taken while that battle is in, uh, has engaged with the Philistines, and so a son is born to Phineas's wife, and she calls him what? Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. A person's name, therefore, is and was an indication of the heart and soul of that person. So then, in verse 17 of our text, as we begin this, this, this look-see at this text today, Paul writes, if you then bear the name Jew, to say that you were a Jew meant that you both knew and followed the, the teachings of God's law. However, we can be shrouded under the best of names. Every one of us. We can have the best of names, but in reality, we can be a person of the lowest, or most deficient, defiant character. So then where does real godly character have its origin? Where does it begin then? Is it just because we have the name that sounds good? Well, that's not the answer. Uh, let's, let's see if we can find an answer. Would you please take your Bibles that you bring to church every Sunday? And Wednesday would be good too. Turn the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, folks, think about this. What if we lived in a, in a world, what if we lived in a society, in a country, where every parent did that with their children? Do you think we would have any of the problems that we have today? If we taught our children that God is one, 
And that they are to live with all of their heart and all of their soul and all of their strength, all their might and all their mind. They're to live under this banner that God is one. And they're to serve no others. Could you imagine living in that society? Well, folks, let me tell you something. Someday, we will all, listen, when Christ returns, we will all live under that precept, that command, that fiat, that mandate, that God is one, and we will live live under that. We'll not be living in a democracy. We will not be living in in a totalitarian government. We will not be living in a monarchy. We will be living in a theocracy, a, ruler, a rulership under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The essential heart of the Jewish religion is found in those verses from, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It is found in those verses that this is what they're to live by. This is what they're to teach. This, this is the guiding principle of their faith. It says this, that Jehovah God is the one absolute God upon which no other God can be compared. Speaking of a person's heart, we read in 1 Samuel 16, 7, you know, when you and I look at a person, uh, we, we make judgments on a person based upon what they look, the way they speak, how, you know, how they act. We make judgments on them, and appearance has a lot to do with it. You know, we, we look at a person's, we look at their face, we look at their, you know, how well they comb their hair. After, after service, if you have a comb, for, I, can, I can borrow it. But, but we, we make judgments based on what? Based on appearance. Listen to what 1 Samuel 16, 7 says. God sees not as a man sees, for the man looks at the outward appearance Listen to this, but God does what? God, the, the Lord God looks at the heart. Folks, the, the character of a person is not simply found in his name or her name, as some might believe. It is found in a person's heart and his or her soul. Your character, your nature is found in here, not in what your name is, not the fact that you're called a Baptist. Or that your name is John or Judy or Betty or Sam or Sue, whatever. It's found in the fact that your heart is is a picture of who you are in character. And that's the person that God is looking for. What is in a person's heart? In verse 18, Paul says, approve the things that are essential. The Jewish leaders believed that they had the the ability to distinguish between the thises and the thats. Let me explain that in just a moment here. This is this, that is that. And, and they thought that they had the ability because they, they had the law of God. Because you have the word of God, sometimes we feel that I can make a, I can make a judgment because I know this word. Well, folks, there is something drastically missing when you say that I know the Word of God and that I know God. Big difference. The Jewish people had the same thing. They knew the law of God, but did they know God? And so because they had the law and it was written, on, it was written in their minds and in their hearts, they said, because I know this, Therefore, I am justified in God. 
Well, because they thought they had an ability that they can say, well, this is right and this is wrong, and that is right and that is wrong. They may think that they had a great interpretation of things, but when it came to application, and, and this is where the rubber meets the road, when it came to application, they were filled with error. You may have a good interpretation, but your application stinks. That's what Paul's saying. Your application stinks. In, in 2 Timothy 3.5, Paul writes, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And he says, avoid, avoid such men as these. You may know something, but you don't know anything. As we come to verses 19 and 21, we have the idea that a form of knowledge produces a form of godliness. It's the same pattern of thought. If I, have, if I have the knowledge of something, therefore, I'm a godly person. Here we find those bearing the name as one who knows God. So what has occurred is an inconsistency between what a person professes and what a person practices. What you profess is not the same as what you practice, Paul is saying. And he goes through this, this listing over here, he, and, and he says over here, he says, uh, do, you, do you teach not to steal? Do you steal? Uh, you teach not to commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who are against idolatry, are you robbing temples? The King James says, uh, are you committing sacrilege? And he goes through that list. He says, are you teaching one thing and doing the other? As an illustration of this, I'd like for us to take our Bibles and would you please turn to Matthew chapter 19. In chapter 19, beginning at verse 16, there's a, the account of, of, of Jesus and, and, the, and the rich young ruler. Remember that story? The rich young ruler. So in this passage... Uh, we have this, this individual who, who walks up to the Lord and, and, and dresses Jesus and says to him, he says, he says, what? I want you to pay very close attention to his question because the, the question, the question he asks, asks proves his character. He says, what good thing, what good thing shall I do that I may attain eternal life. What good thing shall I do that I might obtain eternal life? And before we look at this, let me, let me say this quite, let me say this. This question is so full of bad theology that it, 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 it would take the average theologian and make that average theologian just, just shake his head in disbelief. You, as a Baptist, if I were to say to you, listen, what do I need to do? What good thing do I need to do in order to be saved? What would you tell me? Would you hand me a box of offering envelopes? I mean, what would you, what would you tell me? Would you tell me that I need to be baptized? Would you tell me that I need to go to church? Would you tell me I need to join the church? Would you tell me I need to dress properly for church? What would you tell me that I need to do to be saved? If I ask you the question, what must I do to be saved? 
what would you tell me I had to do? Do I need to walk down the aisle? Does it need to be a green carpet? Do I need to walk down this green carpet? What do I need to do? You would shortly correct me. But for Jesus, he just presses on. When he hears this question, because he, Jesus is a lot smarter than you and I. When he hears this question, he answered the man's question based upon the value of the way it was asked. The man asked the question, Jesus, what must I do? And Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You think, Jesus, what are you saying? Jesus is going to tell him what he needs to do to be saved. You know, that ain't going to fit in our theology very well, is it? But Jesus is going to answer him. The man wants to work his way to glory. So therefore, Jesus goes through a list of commandments. And he says, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. So then, this man tells Jesus in verse 20, All, listen, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? This guy is really proud of himself. He says, Jesus, I'm the perfect guy. It's like the person I spoke of a couple of weeks ago. Remember saying, me, me, me again. Boy, I'm really close on this. Me. I, I, I don't have to tell you, but you know that Jesus had already figured this guy out. Jesus know, knows the heart and soul of this person. As soon as that guy walked up to him and asked a question, Jesus knew him. So he listed all of the, all the, of the, of the uh, personal relationships and the commandments. Except one. Jesus doesn't deal with the first four commandments. The first four commandments have no other gods before me. No graven images. Don't take God's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Those are the first four. He don't deal with those. You know why? Because those are not important to that young man. That young man wants to know what he is going to do. So Jesus let me tell you the ones that talk about you doing something. Okay? So he lists them. Starting with that, starting with Killing people. Don't kill anybody. Don't murder somebody. A premeditated act of murder. So he starts with that. And the guy says, well, I never murdered anybody. Jesus says, don't murder. I've not murdered. Don't, don't commit adultery. I've not committed adultery. Don't steal. I've never stolen anything. He goes through all that list. He says, don't, don't, don't lie. Don't bear false witness. I haven't done that. Honor your mom and dad. I, that's me. Except for one thing. Jesus skips a commandment, and he does so intentionally because the heart and soul of this man is wrapped around that one commandment. And you know what it is? Would you read with me in Matthew chapter 19? And let's look at verses 21 and 22. Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, Do you see that? If you wish to be, or or perfect. If you want to be perfect, well, God only takes perfect people. So this guy says, listen, what do I need to do to be perfect? And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you what it is. If you wish to be complete or perfect, go and sell your possessions 
and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But, but, when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Do you know what commandment Jesus left up? Because he knew this guy couldn't keep it. Thou shalt not what? Covet. The man loved his possessions. They were worth more to him than anything else. That his, his, his whole heart and soul were wrapped around what he had. It says that he had, he had many possessions. His wealth, his fame, his fortune, his applause by people was wrapped around his possessions. When he walks into the church, take the, take the best seat. Here's a guy that drives into church, not, not driving a 1952 DeSoto. No. He, come, he comes with the best car, a Ford. No. Just, I'm just kidding. Or not a Chevy either. Listen, when he comes, he comes in a limo, he's being driven. much wealth and he covets his possessions go and take what you have and give it to the poor and now you can be perfect because he's kept all those other things hasn't he in his mind he has I've kept all these other things I'm so perfect This is the same type of person that Paul is speaking of in Romans chapter 2, 21 and 23. He says over here, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one shall not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in law, through your breaking of the law, do you dishonor God? And, and here's the person that says, I'm doing all these things. I'm doing all the right things. And God says, listen, if you're telling people not to do these things, are you yourself doing these things? This rich man who said that he was looking for the, the one thing to do, it isn't that he kept all those commandments, but in his own mind, he was absolutely perfect except for one thing. And Jesus says, okay, I'll show you the one thing. When you break one commandment, how many have you broken? All of them. Young man, you've broken them all, not just one. There's something interesting here also. In, in verse 22, the King James Bible has commit sacrilege. Other translations have the term rob temples. The Greek word here is haralusio, and it means to take for your own gain that which is dedicated to God. To take for yourselves that which has been given to God. I used this illustration before. Let me use it again. God creates Adam. This is an illustration. It's not a biblical truth. It's an illustration. In the book of Genesis... God creates Adam and Eve. 
And after he creates them, he gives them ten apples. He says, Adam, take the first three apples and go buy some food. Take the next three apples and go, and, 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 and go get some shelter. Take the third three of the third, uh, three apples, you know, seven, eight, and nine. He says, and, and, and go buy uh, clothing. So food, shelter, and clothing. Take nine of those ten. And he says, Adam, with that tenth apple, you give it to me. So Adam looks at that tenth apple. It's nice, big, juicy, red, perfect, perfect apple. So he looks at it, and he can't resist, so he eats all around it. Eats all around it, and it gives God the core. Are you robbing God? You who abhor idols, are you taking are you taking what belongs to God? The Jewish people abhorred idolatry. You say that you abhor idolatry. However, in about 15 minutes, that will go away because idolatry will come back alive in America. Or it'll come back alive in America. We've taken, we have taken the Lord's day and we've robbed God of what is His. Sorry, preacher, I can't be in church today. I got tickets to the game. Just saying that Jesus came back, hey, I was going to take you, man, but you had tickets to the game, and I showed up at church, and you weren't there. I don't know. <laughs> if you look at verse 25, you will notice that Paul, in a step-by-step manner, has stripped the Jews of those things they had taken refuge in. They, they've hidden themselves in these things. And they felt secure and had solace in these things. For instance, in verses 1 through 11, our first sermon, verses 1 through 11, uh, their eagerness to judge the Gentiles for their moral failure. They loved putting it on the Gentiles. Oh, uh, you, you guys, you keep on missing the boat. You've got to be like us. Verses 1 through 11. Here's the Jews. On the right hand, here's the Gentiles on the left hand. Here's the Jews, the sheep. Here's the Gentiles, the goats. So they judged them. Verses 12 through 16, chapter 2. The second thing, step he takes care of, their attitude that having the law would justify them before God. Preacher, I know this book. I, I cannot tell you how many times people say, you know, he doesn't go to church or she doesn't go to church. They don't believe in going to church, but man, do they know the Bible. Man, do they. Have you ever met people like that? Boy, they know the Bible. 
frontwards and backwards. They, let me tell you something. Do you think God's going to say, well, how much of this do you know? Do you think he's going to judge us by how much we know about the Bible? I've been studying this book for 53 years. I still don't know hardly any of it. There is so much in here. Listen, in all those years I've been studying and reading theology books, listen, I barely have scratched the surface of the truth of God's Word. I'm trusting that God will not judge me in how much I know about the Bible, of what a great theologian I might be, because I am not that. But when we say, Lord, I have a Bible and I know it. I read all the footnotes. God's not interested in us knowing the footnotes or how much we think we know about the Bible. God wants to know this. Do we know Him? Do we know Him? We cannot justify ourselves just as the Jew couldn't based on the fact that we know Scripture. The third thing, the third step that Paul does, and he tears down their, 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 their armor. He, he tears down their, their, their place of refuge. He says in verses 17, 17 through 29, he says, that the name Jew was of such great value and honor that to bear that name made a person to be envy or proud. And that's what they thought. But here's what Paul says. Listen in verses 20 and 29. 20, listen to what Paul says. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. He says, just because you've been circumcised, that doesn't make you a Jew. Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Every one of you who have put your trust into Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. Every one of you, guess what? You are God's chosen person. You are the spiritual Jew. You're his chosen people. He's, you're the one that God has called out. You were in bondage and God has called you out. You were dead in your sins and God has made you alive. You were seated in the seat of Satan and God has seated you in the kingdom of God. You are the new spiritual Israel. Every one of you, male and female, have been circumcised, not of the flesh, but of the heart, of the heart. Folks, it all boils down to the matter of God's grace. Notice the phrase in verse 29, it says, circumcision is that which is of the heart. I would like for you to turn another passage with me in Ezekiel chapter 20, 36, rather, Ezekiel 36. In Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27, let me read this for you. God says, then I will, this is God speaking, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you, listen, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. In fact, if you were to look at verses 24 through 30 of that same uh, chapter in Ezekiel, you will see that God uses the first person, I will, 11 times in those few 
in those few verses. Eleven times God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. He keeps on doing that over and over and over and over and over again. God says, I will. You can't do anything. I will do this. I will do this. There is one thing that God says you will do. If you look at verse 20, 28, he says, so you will be my people. You will be my people, and I will be your God. The other thing that we do is say, here I am, Lord. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I will be your God because I will do this. I will do that. I will do this and that, this and that. And God says, I will do all. As God called Israel out of Egypt. It says, you are my people. God has called you out of the domain of darkness. God has called you out of, out, of, out of bondage. God has called you out of slavery to Satan. God, God has called you out of death and he's given you life. We were dead in our sins and God has called us out. We were of nothing but a valley of dry bones and God has put life into us. He breathed into us the breath of life. God has done everything. So when we bear the name Christian, it isn't because we know the Word of God. It is because we know God. And because we know God, we should know the Word of God. But you've got to know God. God does all that is necessary in bringing salvation to the sinner. Whether the sinner be male or female, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, God does it all. So God says in Ezekiel 36, 28, so you will be my people, I will be your God. And then he closed out that chapter and says, then they will know, then they will know that I am the Lord. Oh, folks, what comfort there is in knowing that. When you know that God has brought you out from where you were, for you, where you don't want to be, God has brought you out and he's put you in his, in his wonderful kingdom. He says, and then you will know, then you will know, then you will know that I am the Lord. Friend, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, or, or the nature of your heritage or character or what your name is. It doesn't matter. Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. If you this day place your trust in Him as your Lord and your Savior and repent of your sins, you will become a new creation in Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. I have no idea whom God is speaking to in His congregation. I have absolutely no idea. He may be speaking to some of you here. He may be speaking to no one. I don't know. I'm not here to judge God and what God wants to do. All I know is this, is that by placing your trust in Jesus Christ, we have the assurance of this, that we have passed, according to John 5, 24, we've passed from death unto life. I know that. And I believe that with all of my heart. Do you today, do you today say, Pastor, I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand that Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross bearing my sin. I understand that Jesus Christ not only died bearing my sin, but he died bearing the wrath of his father. That he was buried 
And on the third day, by the power of God, he was raised from the dead. And he will live forevermore. And by putting my trust in him, I will live with him forever. I do know that. Folks, if God has spoken to your heart that today that you will put your trust in Christ, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to step, step out of your seat in just a moment here to walk down front. Coming down here doesn't do anything. <clears throat> it's, just, it's just a means of transportation for you. Using the two feet that God's given you, come down front, stand in front over here. And you know, you know what we want to do? Thank you, Jesus. You saved another brother or sister. You've added to your kingdom by your grace. And now they get to bear the name Christian. Not that that makes them better than anybody else, but that makes them to be a possessor of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. As the angels in glory applaud and celebrate, we here in this church will applaud and celebrate because the sinner has been called to repentance. We're going to stand, just right now, we're going to stand and we're going to have a time of response, a hymn of invitation. As you, as you, as you sing, as your others sing, if the Spirit of God is so working in your heart and moves you to come to receive Christ, would you do so today?